The world of construction is transforming before our eyes. How we design, plan, quantify and build is changing day to day. But it's never been so easy to connect, share and bring people together. Our industry is reshaping. So how do we develop relationships? How do we overcome our fears? How do we generate business? And how do we ultimately become the best version of ourselves? This is Measured. I'm McDonaghy, and my guest today is... Today on Measured, we are joined by Luisa Pinicho. Luisa is a qualified civil and architectural engineer who currently works as a project manager on major infrastructure projects throughout Australia. She's also the founder and creative director of STEM at Home, an initiative set up to inspire young children, especially young women, to consider taking up a career in one of the sciences. Louisa is part of a group of leading engineers who are changing the face of STEM and construction, and I'm super excited to have Louisa on the show. Louisa, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm so (laughs) excited to be here. No, thank, thanks for thanks for coming on. Would you mind introducing yourself to to the listeners out there who, who might just want to know a little bit more about what you do and, and what it is that that STEM and Home is all about? Yeah, no, definitely. So my name is Louisa. I'm 25 years old. Up until the end of last year, I lived in Adelaide, South Australia, but this year I moved to Melbourne for love. Um, so I am a qualified civil and architectural engineer, and I currently work as a project manager. So in the past, I have worked in intersection upgrades, so predominantly in the road space. And at the moment, I'm doing bridge upgrades, which has been different and very interesting, and I'm really enjoying it. So sort of getting into a bit of structural engineering. Uh, So that's like my nine to five, like seven to five job. (laughs) And then (laughs) I guess my night job and my weekend job is STEM outreach. So when I was in my second year of uni, I started working for an organisation called Engineers Without Borders Australia, and they gave me a role as the Google STEM ambassador for South Australia. And so a part of that role was going to schools in South Australia and Northern Territory and talking about STEM and particularly engineering and just getting to understand, I guess, kids' perspectives on what an engineer actually does and whether they would consider becoming an engineer. And something I learned from talking to those kids was that they really thought it wasn't cool to enjoy maths and science. And so they were sort of getting turned off quite early and then they wouldn't pick those subjects in high school, which means they've sort of closed themselves off to a STEM degree. Now, Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong, there are bridging courses and there are other ways to get into STEM degrees, but you kind of do need that background in maths and science from a young age. It really helps. It helped me. And so I sort of delved a little bit deeper into why is maths and science not cool? And a big part of that, I think, is what's shown in movies and TV shows. And a really good example would be the show Modern Family. I don't know if you've seen it before. Yeah. So in that show, there's two sisters, uh, Hayley and Alex. Hayley is very popular. She has lots of friends, but she's also notoriously known for not enjoying school. I think she even gets kicked out of college in one of the episodes. So Mm -hmm. she's just not into studies at all. She's more into socialising. And then her sister, Alex, who is very smart, really loves learning, maths and science, all that sort of thing. 
she is depicted as, you know, socially awkward. She doesn't really have many friends. Uh, there's also an episode where she gets a boyfriend and nobody can believe that she has a boyfriend and they yeah. sort of make a joke out of it and that he's an imaginary person. And so, you know, from just that show, you're already getting this depiction that it's kind of like a negative thing to be mm -hmm. smart and to try hard at school. And so I guess that's probably like my biggest pet, pet peeve. I just hate it. And I just think it's not true. I'm an engineer. I've got lots of friends. I love going out. And all the engineers I know are exactly the same. So I guess that was part of the reason why I got so involved in STEM outreach. And then STEM at home in itself, I started during the first round of COVID-19 restrictions in 2020. Um, so I had family members who were messaging me saying that their kids were quite bored at home and they were struggling between balancing, you know, working from home and having to entertain their kids at the same time. They sort of said, do you have any experiment, experiments that you could tell us that we could do with the kids? And I sort of thought, yeah, I know how to make a lava lamp, um, which is a really weird thing to just Yeah, that's, that's... know. <laughs> I, I got taught in year 11 chemistry and it sort of just stuck in my head that it was a cool experiment. And, yeah. you know, I thought, why not film it, show them how to do it? And once I filmed it, I was like, you know, this is pretty good. I might actually put it on YouTube and put it on Instagram TV. And then it got a much bigger reaction than I thought it would. So it sort mm -hmm. of blew up on LinkedIn. And I think the post got like 50,000 views. Oh. And I was like, this is nuts. Yeah. And so I made a few more episodes. Um, I made four more episodes and they were along the same line. So STEM activities that you could easily recreate at home with your kids. Um, and you didn't, they weren't really expensive to recreate as well. That was a big thing mm -hmm. I wanted to do. And then I thought we were going to be coming out of the COVID lockdowns. And yeah. I didn't envision, envision it going on as long as it has. I'm currently still in lockdown in Melbourne. And so I didn't do any more of the activity episodes but I sort of had a new idea and that was I wanted to showcase the real faces of STEM uh, so I came up with STEM at home what do you do which is essentially a series of interviews with um, working students and professionals in STEM from all around the world and I asked them to just film themselves answering eight questions and then I've sort of just edited them into little episodes and I think they're really cool mm -hmm. I think they're really inspiring I think you know an example is um, there's one episode called um, I'm a Science Communicator mm -hmm. and his name is Maynard and he's known as the Hip Hop MD and he's actually a qualified civil and environmental engineer but currently works as a science communicator in the United States mm -hmm. and he's just the coolest guy ever. <laughs> and I think, you know, you're very cool as well but I think if I was five years old and I saw him on a screen I would automatically be like, I want to be like Maynard. I want yep. to be in science. I want to study this. Look how cool he is. Look how cool science is. Yeah. And so that's the main, I guess, message behind everything that I do. I'm trying to get rid of that negative stereotype associated with careers in STEM and show kids that, you know, just because you like maths and science, it doesn't take away from anything else. You don't have to be socially awkward and not have friends. Yeah. To be smart. Like they're just not related at all. Um, yeah. So uh, it's just like bringing back so many good memories actually from, from school. And so I hated science, right? I was so bad at it. But when I think back, it's probably because of like the teachers that we had. And they, they just didn't have any passion for it at all either. And then we didn't really have, I'm only 30, but like 
even then there wasn't access to the internet when you're like seven or eight or nine years old it was like dial-up internet and you know it wasn't it wasn't really like there wasn't youtube or anything you know so it wasn't as accessible but i remember we had this teacher and i just remember his name was mr mcclanahan he was a legend and he was like 26 and 27 he used to take us out to like the big field and he would do all those experiments so he would do the whole you know putting um like is it mentos in soda water or, or something like that and oh, everyone just absolutely like loved it it was su- super cool but that's obviously what you're trying to do you're trying to make it something interesting and you're obviously trying to capture the younger audience as opposed to like those i guess here in like their like late teens is that right yeah yeah exactly i think when i first started stem outreach i did target a lot of what i was doing at high school students and then I started to realize that I don't think that's where the change in mindset needs to occur you know by the time you're in year 10 11 12 in Australia you have already decided what Mm. you want to do at university well most people have because you have to pick subjects um, and they become prerequisites for different degrees so while I think it's really um, important to you know engage kids and high school students in STEM the whole way through I think there's not enough targeted at primary school students and sort of planting the seed really early. So getting them excited about maths and science really early. And I think you start to realise that it's easy to explain it to kids because maths and science is in everything. So in one of the episodes, it's called walking water. And we essentially use capillary action to move water from one cup to the other via a paper towel. And I put colours in it so it's like cool to watch as you like speed up the process. But the basis behind that is capillary action, which is how plants essentially eat and get water and how they pull it up from the ground around them. Yeah. And so it's, a, it's easy to explain to kids when you give a real life example of the science. And so, yeah, I, I don't think there's any age that's too young to start learning about STEM. I get lots of messages on LinkedIn from parents saying that they've recreated the episodes with their kids and you know kids as young as two years old have been recreating the lava lamp with their parents that's the first episode loose lava lamps and they love it yeah so I think it's a really fun introduction to maths and science at a really young age and then you sort of planted that seed so that when they do get a bit older and they have to start picking subjects well they're already excited about maths and science so they're more likely to pick those subjects yeah See that the thing is, you're you're showing them the result of the maths and science. You're not you're not showing them just here's a book, read it, learn it, yeah. and you're going to do a test about it. You're showing them that this is because everything in realistically is science is all around us, really, isn't it? You know, if it's the cars that we're driving, it's the technology that we're using now. Everything you know derives from that. That that's yeah. a cool thing. You're showing them the the result of that and how they can be part of that um and and create amazing things um but so what what's what's your story why did you want to become an engineer louisa yeah so people ask me that question a lot and i think when i was in high school i always really liked maths and science and i had really good teachers and i do think that makes a difference Mm -hmm. i had really good teachers in maths and science so i was always interested in it Um, My sister, who's two years older than me um, and is actually working from home as well in the other room, Mm -hmm. she's an engineer as well. And so she was two years older than me and she had picked those, you know, hardcore maths and science subjects in year 11 and 12. And so to me, 
she was my role model and I sort of thought well if she's picked them I'm gonna pick them mm-hmm. and I think the thing about those subjects like I sort of touched on before and prerequisites they open up doors to many different degrees so mm-hmm. typically maths and science degrees need um, like maths and science prerequisites and so if you do the prerequisites in year 11 and 12 then you really have free reign when you're picking a degree and she had sort of given me that advice as well so I chose all those subjects and I really liked them in year 11 year 12 not so much um, mm. I probably put that on myself I put too much pressure on myself and had too many things going on and then when it came to selecting a degree I originally wanted to do medicine I think it's because I'm from an ethnic background and for as long as I can remember, my nonna would be like, I want a doctor. I want a doctor in the family. Oh, classic. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so I was like, I'm going to be the doctor. And then I did the UMAT and it didn't go to plan. I didn't get a very high score at all. And so I sort of thought, oh, maybe I'll pick engineering because it was a backup. And I thought, you know, my sister's doing engineering. I'll pick engineering and then I could do the UMAT again and I could transfer into medicine. And then I started studying civil and architectural engineering. So I picked that one because it was, to me, the best combination of physics and maths, but also art. So mm. I really like drawing. Um, the thing I'm probably most proud of with the STEM at Home series is that I do all the graphics myself. So I've drawn all the characters in all the episodes um, and I love it. And so that degree, to me, combined everything. And I started doing the degree and I was like, I actually really enjoy this. I don't think I want to move into medicine or try again. But when I did start, something that I noticed was in my first year maths class on my first day, there was 300 males in that lecture theatre and 30 females. And I think that was my first introduction to, whoa, there is a big incorrect, in my opinion, gender split in engineering. And then I started to learn that it's not just engineering, it's more STEM in general Mm -hmm. and I started to really I guess want to know why what was the reason for that split and why aren't girls picking engineering and you know even in high school I talk about this a lot my year 12 physics class so my year level there was 120 girls I went to an all-girls school in year 12 there was two students so me and my friend Georgina in physics and three students in specialist maths me, my friend Georgina, and another girl called Jess. And you need both of those subjects to become an engineer. Yeah. So straight away, they have sort of, the other girls had closed themselves off without doing, you know, bridging courses and whatnot to getting into engineering, I guess, the easy way. And when you sort of start to follow that back, I do think it stems from at a young age being put off maths and science that when you get to that point where you're picking your subjects, you don't pick those subjects Mm. and then you sort of close that door. So that's sort of the full cycle, I guess, of what I'm trying to do and where it came from. So I guess what you're saying is that, like when you mentioned like modern family and making, that's where it's coming from. I I, I assume where you're making it really like a negative connotation that if you study math and science, you're going to be a complete nerd and no one's going to be interested in talking to you. you're going to have absolutely no friends and then i assume that's like maybe like the girls in your class are like well i don't want to be someone like that yeah i think as well you know girls when they're you know to get into a bit of biology when we're in high school and we're in year eight and nine and we're going through very impressionable years and there's lots of things happening with our bodies and hormones and whatnot the last thing you want to do is put yourself in a situation where people are going to pick on you 
because of something. And so, you know, you're already a little bit insecure with yourself with all the changes that are going on, you know, knowing myself personally. And I did get called a nerd in high school. You know, I wore glasses and it had nothing to do with the fact that I liked maths and science. I had, um, I was short-sighted. So that's why I was wearing glasses. And But yeah. I, would, I, would, I was getting picked on for the fact that I wore glasses and that I liked maths and science. And, you know, that puts something in your head that you're a bit like, well, I don't want to get picked on anymore. And if the reason why I'm getting picked on is because I'm wearing glasses and I like maths and science, well, guess what? I'm going to stop doing both of them. So I started wearing contacts. And at some point I did get less engaged in maths and science, particularly in year nine and 10, where I was a bit like, well, it's not cool. It's not cool to be smart. And for me, I was lucky that I had my sister who was Mm. two years ahead of me. And she was sort of proving that wrong because, you know, she had picked those subjects and she was doing so well and she was winning awards and getting all this sort of recognition. And I sort of thought, well, I want that more than I want to be cool and more than I want to be popular. I want to be doing something that's making a difference. And I guess that's what ultimately led me down the path of STEM and engineering. Yeah. No, I, I agree massively. You know, it's it, it's weird that you don't actually realize all of that. And it's such a, you know, it, it must be so difficult. You know, if you're saying in an all-girls school and literally like 99.9% of all the rest of the girls are studying something else and then you're studying something like, you know what kids are like? They, they just, they'll poke fun at absolutely anything. I'm sort of thinking yeah. on, the, on the flip side, I, st- I went to an all-boys school and the guys who were like, you know, the toughest in this, even in the, in the school were some of those guys were also some of the smartest and they were, yeah. they were doing maths and physics and it was kind of, it was, it was weird, but I mean, maybe it was just, maybe it was just the time or the people I was surrounded with. I, I guess what, what, what was the main thing then? Obviously you, you start, started studying and then you walk in and you see like literally 30, 30 girls in your class and then 300 boys. Like, what was that like? Well, the first thing I did was tell my dad who is again ethnic and his response was very old school and was like do you want to change degrees and I thought no I don't want to change degrees I want to change the numbers yeah. I want to do something to fix this and that's sort of where I started getting into that STEM outreach and then I think what further prompted it is when I actually got into the workforce so I was really lucky I got a job uh, working essentially as an engineer while I was in third year because so I was working three days a week on site uh, in third year and fourth year which was amazing and incredible experience but I was also the only girl on my site and I experienced some very inappropriate behavior on those sites and through those first couple of years of my career that made me think hang on a second if there were other females here would this behavior be happening now I also think that it is the responsibility of males to call out that sort of behavior that it is inappropriate but at the same time I always sort of felt I didn't have any female allies there to back me up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, since moving into other roles where there are more females, if I ever feel like I'm in a meeting and a female's not getting a chance to say what she wants to say, I will let her have that chance and I will push for that because I know what it feels like to not have the chance to speak in a meeting or to be shut down based on your gender or your age because it's happened to me a lot. So I think that's another big push for me is, I want to get more females interested in STEM from a young age so that more females go into the career so that some of the things that I've had to deal with, other women don't have to deal with because it's going to get called out a lot sooner if we're there defending each other. And I think also we won't be the minority anymore. 
So when I first started in construction, I was the only, I was like 19 years old, I think. And I was the only female on the site. And I was a bit of a novelty. And I remember even picking out my steel cap boots. Um, they gave me a catalogue and they said, oh, you can pick on the catalogue and we'll order them for you. And the only female boots in the catalogue had like pink laces. Yeah. And at first I thought, I don't want pink laces. I don't want to stand out more than I already am. And so I ended up getting a, um, a male shoe essentially in a smaller size. Now I do have pink laces on my steel caps because I guess I'm a bit more confident and without swearing, I don't take SIHT from anyone anymore because yeah. I'm, you know, I'm more into the field now. I've got five years experience. I feel super confident. But in that first year, I did not feel that confident. I didn't really know what I was talking about. And I didn't want, kind of like in high school, I didn't want to have something that put a target on me for people to make comments, you know, liking maths and science in high school and being called a nerd or having pink steel caps boots and everybody on site saying, who's she? What's she doing here? What does she know? Why has she got pink steel caps on? So, yeah, that's another driver for me in terms of changing the numbers and making it, I guess, a more gender-friendly industry and field. I think it's important that we talk about it. And one thing that I want to do with the show is that they're actually real conversations and we don't just like skirt over it. So like, we're, we're, would you go on site and people would like, guys would literally just, I don't know, like are they making fun or are they making sort of like inappropriate comments or like, what you know, what what is that like? And then what do you do with that as well? Yeah, so I think the first experience I can remember is the first site I was ever on. I was there as an undergrad. It was probably like my third day. I had a really good site engineer who I was working with. We're actually still friends. And I was measuring the cover for the reinforcement. Um, So like a pre-pour inspection before they're about to pour a slab. You have to have a certain amount of cover for the reinforcement uh, below and above it and to the sides and whatnot. And I was bending down to measure it. And I remember this site engineer saying to me, and he tried to say in the nicest possible way, do you want to like turn around the other way while mm. you're doing this? And I said, what's the problem? And he could see, and I couldn't see this, that there was a group of labourers who had sort of joined together and were standing and were looking at me bending in a certain way and were making comments and whatnot. And he was obviously trying to protect me from that. In retrospect, I think what he should have done is he should have gone up to them yeah, and told them off and not told me to move the other way. Now, that's just a really small example I could go on for days about the things that have happened to me. I have had people in senior positions be incredibly inappropriate to me, uh, message me after hours on personal phones. And I'm talking about, you know, married men. And especially when I was so young and I was in this field and I just wanted a job more than anything, I was so torn in so many situations Mm. because I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know... I was scared that if I called it out, it would be the end of my career. Yeah. And at one point I did seek advice because this particular sexual inappropriateness via message was getting more than I think I thought I could handle. And I sought advice and I said, what do I do? I don't know what to do. And they said, don't report it because you'll be labeled a troublemaker. You should just move companies. And that's what I did. I left a job that I loved because I was scared that if I was to report what was going on, either people would say I was overreacting and it was harmless, it was just text messages, or I would be labelled as a troublemaker in the industry. And 
for a long time, I didn't even speak about it. I didn't speak about what happened and why I had left that job. And I remember it was actually really hard because I had an exit interview for that job. And um, in the interview, the woman on the phone said to me, oh, why are you leaving? And I sort of said, oh, I can't handle the hours. That was the thing I was going with. And she was really rude and was actually like, oh, you know, you come out of uni and you expect a nine to five. That's not what engineering is and all this thing. And it made me really upset because I could handle the hours. The next job I went to, I went on to night shift for two years. So it was nothing to do with the hours. It was purely to do with how I was being treated and what was happening outside of work that I just didn't want to deal with anymore. And I didn't know how to report it. So I just chose to leave. And that was probably the worst decision I ever made because Mm -hmm. I then found out that that individual had actually done it to other girls after me and they reported him but he's still in his position. Mm. So I think that shows something as well, that while you can go and report it, a lot of the time nothing happens and then you're the one who reported it and nobody wants to work with you because you're a troublemaker. So, You're yeah. basically stuck. You're like stuck. You're like there's, there's literally nothing you can do. Like my, my wife, she's worked in the property industry for, for 10, over 10 years and she's told me the same, you know, like, if you're a pretty girl, like you're nearly kind of have to accept it kind of thing. And I'm like, no, you don't, you don't have to accept it. But then she's like, well, similar to what you're saying that if you know, you're, 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 you're nearly stuck because you're going to be labeled and you're going to be, um, yeah. it's your, it's also, it's all, all of a sudden your, your problem, you're the issue, not, not that individual. So, I mean, like, so what have, what, have, what have you learned from that? I mean, what, what, what advice would you give people if they were in a similar situation? Call it out. I yeah. think that's my biggest regret, that I was too scared about my career progression and I should have called it out. So recently on LinkedIn, actually, I got a really inappropriate message sent to me and it was by someone who was chief of staff. That was his role um, at a massive organisation in Melbourne. And I thought, no way, I'm not. When I first saw the comment, uh, it was by a direct message. I thought, just leave it, Louisa, just block them. And then I thought, no, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of letting people get away with it. So I just wrote back saying, not an appropriate comment. And I think his response was, rightio. And I was just infuriated. Mm. So I blocked him. And before I blocked him, I print screened it. And I emailed his work. They never emailed me back. So that was oh, the first thing. I yeah. sent the uncensored print screen. I then made a post about it on LinkedIn, but I blocked out his name and his photo. The only thing I left was his title because I wanted people to know that there's people in senior positions. Look, it happens everywhere, but a lot of the time it's people with power in my experiences. And so I made this post and the post went nuts. It got like 70,000 views and all these women messaged me saying same things happen to me and the thing that shocked me the most is that a few of them actually recognized the person just based on the title and the same person had done the same thing to them but in actually one case significantly worse that there was a lawyer involved and there was charges being laid so so i i I think i think that post that you put up yeah and i i just i i can't believe i i'm like like he looked at this photo and he's like taking that from the photo. I'm like, how like literally small minded are you? You're like, go get a life. 
you must you are you know what what world are you living in you creep um so how confident are you in your job that you feel that like the safety to be able to send a message like that to someone and just know that it's not going to impact your job and I think that's where the double standard comes in with women versus men in the sense that I constantly feel like I am on my toes Mm. in this industry and I am so scared that I will make a step out of place and that everything I've done will be undone so all the work I've done will be undone if I say something wrong and I just feel like the same accountability for some reason is not there for men like I don't know I just Never in a million years would I think to send someone a message like that, firstly, just because of the person that I am. And secondly, I would have never thought that I would get away with it, but he must know that he does because, like I said, I emailed his work and they never responded to me. Yeah. It's kind of like they didn't want to deal with it. I think that's, I mean, it does blow my mind. Like, how how could you want someone someone like that in your organisation to be the chief of staff? You know, literally, exactly. I, I, I can't imagine how weird that individual must be with his own staff and how, you know, I mean, that, that's the problem. You, you, and especially even right now where your job is basically the only thing people have. We're in lockdown. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, you, you're making a living is, is pretty tough right now. And if you're worried about your job, then you're you're nearly accepting this stuff as like well I haven't got any other choice you know so I think I think what you're doing is really brave and I think you should be really proud of yourself for actually going out there and and also giving other women confidence to do it themselves you know when they see someone else has the the being brave enough to speak up then others will speak up and yeah I mean exactly. we've seen what's happened with like the Me Too movement but I mean there's there's a whole different movement with Me Too in, in construction. Like, oh my God, like yeah. that is, uh, that's something that needs to be unraveled for sure. Um, I agree. And I think I got a lot, I didn't realize how many private messages I would get from other girls who had experienced the same thing and not with the same person, just in other, in their own work, in other companies. And, you know, one girl, I remember her response actually saying that she, she ain't left the role she had reported it reported it reported it and nothing happened and I know of another girl who did the same thing and she left the role as well and so it kind of always feels like the victim gets the blame and there's mm-hmm. this massive issue that no one wants to talk about and it's kind of like why would you want to bring more females into an industry like because there are a lot of these companies that they are big in the STEM outreach which you know I love that I'm all for it but why are you promoting bringing other women into this industry when you're not even protecting the women in the industry to start with yeah and they and that's why they leave so a big another big issue for women in stem is retention that women leave and yeah. i've been at that point on multiple occasions where i have thought i don't want to do this anymore and sometimes it's because of inappropriate sexual behavior sometimes it's just because it's not even sexual it's just i don't know being undermined for being a woman like last year in the role that i was in I constantly felt like there was a particular individual who would undermine everything I said. And I think it was because I was a woman because Mm. I would see how he treated the males in the team and they got away with everything. And I felt like I was working so hard constantly and nothing I could do was good enough. Yeah, And it really deters you. You're a bit like, well, why am I here? Like I might as well go do another profession where I'm actually going to be appreciated. That being said, 
I started a new role this year and a new company, new secondment, and I have had the total opposite experience. I have a female manager in mm-hmm. my current secondment and I have never felt so empowered in my life. Yeah. She makes me feel like I can do anything. Like at the moment, I'm managing 13 sites in South Australia under her and I just constantly feel like I can do it. I feel like I know the answer. I go to her when I want to, you know, run things by her and I'm a little bit unsure, but I feel so empowered to do my job that I feel like I'm so much more productive. I don't second guess myself and I actually want to be in the industry. And that's all from just having a positive manager. And, you know, whether it's female or male, I don't think it matters. Just having a positive manager who values you for your capability, not your gender. Yeah. I think that that's super important. Like someone said to me, you can't be what you can't see. And so if you've got all these like insecure old men, you know, managing you and obviously like they're so maybe left in the dark ages that they see someone like you who's obviously female, but confident, smart, and obviously has, you know, great experience as well. And like you, do, you, you come across these people and I mean, the, the quicker we can get them out of the industry and they retire, the, the better. But having someone that you that actually makes you feel like you have a voice is, is super important. And that's what I think like the industry's missing. Like one thing we have like all these construction, we have Nawick and and Widak and stuff like that. But for me, it's a, it's amazing to have all these women come together, but we need more male participation in those to start changing yeah. like the feelings of these men and like to understand what the situation like what where things are at, you know. Because if it, if there's very limited participation uh, with, I'm not saying males come in and actually you know overrun it or anything, you know, but no, 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 start yeah. to get involved. Yeah, I think male allies, um, and also just challenging that unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. It's there, and a lot of men won't admit that it's there, but you can see it. You can see it in meetings. You can see it. Just I guess when we do something versus when a male in the team does something, and how it's sort of to some people not everyone, to some people, how it's viewed. I think there's a massive level of unconscious bias. Um, You know, it sort of gets into the topic of um, targets and sort of when they're hiring, if they sort of say, okay, well, we're looking for five women and five men. Some people don't agree with that because they sort of think, well, it should be the 10 best people that you hire, not necessarily five women and five men. But part of the reason why you need that there is because there is unconscious bias, especially Mm. in this industry. And, you know, I think for a little while I was against those sort of gender targets as well because I was a bit like, oh, I want to be hired based on merit because I don't want anyone to ever say to me, you're only here because you're a female. Yep. But then the more I thought about it and the more I researched it, I sort of started to realise, well, there is an unconscious bias. And maybe if they don't have those sort of gender targets there, I might not even get into the room because that unconscious bias will rule me out before they've even got a chance to meet me. Yep. So, Yeah. It's a massive issue. It's a massive issue. I, I spoke to a company. I spoke to a company last week in Brisbane, and they have forty staff, and forty-eight percent of them are female. You know, oh, wow. so I, yeah, and they're a contractor, so they're at the cutting edge of the industry. But they're they're doing things differently, and they're offering support for for moms and and flexibility and and I, I think you know the, 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 I look at this as a talent perspective as well, and I just think of all the untapped talent who are female that are out there who haven't entered the industry because of all the things we've already spoken about 
And it's just like, it's so frustrating, you know? And I think we, we need to be sharing more stories and we need to be showing the opportunity that exists and that it's not a nerdy career. It's not something that you're hopefully not going to be picked up and laughed at, you know, when like, I remember yeah. my sister got bullied in school and, and, and I always, always remember her, like she had, a, she's got a, a really good career. And I remember she went into like, you know, it was like one of the fish and chip shop and the person who bullied her massively was working in the fish and chip shop. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with working in a fish and chip shop. Do you know what I mean? But you, you, you've, you've, yeah. you can all, you, there's so much potential in construction. Like it's unbelievable yeah. the opportunity that you have in, in your career and in STEM as well. So, I mean, what, what's your, what's your big, big picture then? Like what, I mean, you've done so much and you're so young. Like what is it, where, where do you want to end up? So when I was in my final year of uni, um, I did an interview for the uni and they asked me, what's your 10 year goal? And I've got it in writing. I said, my 10 year goal is to become a project manager of large construction sites. And then the other day I realized that I've got there a lot sooner than I thought I would get there. And I think a big part of it is I just take initiative and I just like to do tasks that no one's doing. I'm like, oh, I'll do it. And all of a sudden I became a project manager. And so for the next couple of years, I would like to really, I mean, cement myself as a project manager. I think I got there really fast and, you know, in my view, in construction, a project manager is someone who has been there for like 10, 20 years. They know everything. And I don't think I know everything. So I would like to sort of stay, this sounds weird, I'd like to stay where I am mm-hmm. for the next couple of years because I'd just like to really, you know, cement my craft. I want to be a project manager that can provide advice to someone who's been working in the construction industry for 20 years. And right now I don't think I can because they know a lot more than me, obviously. So on a professional sense, that's what I want to do. I guess outside, I want to keep doing the STEM outreach. Uh, I also really like public speaking. I love to talk. I don't know if you've picked that. A little bit. A little um, bit. <laughs> yeah. And so I've got, um, I've got a speaking gig coming up in South Australia, which I'm really excited about if I'm allowed to go in COVID mm-hmm. uh, to speak at a women in STEM breakfast for 500 high school students. So I want to stay in the public speaking space and sharing my story and my journey. And then I want to keep sharing other people's stories. Yeah. So I don't always want to be in the spotlight. I think that's something I've realized in the past year. Don't get me wrong. I love being in front of the camera, but I think it's also important now that I have this platform, particularly on LinkedIn and that the posts get so many follows and get so many views that I want to show other people's stories because I'm only one face of STEM. There are so many incredible faces in STEM and I want to tell their stories. And that's what I've been doing through the STEM at home. What do you do series? I've got like 60 episodes that I'm going to be releasing between now and the end of the year. And they're from all over the world. And it's so diverse as well, the cast. And I'm just so proud of it. And I've even learned about STEM careers that I didn't even know exist. And I call myself like the queen of STEM. And <laughs> there's careers that I've learned about yeah. in through doing this and through, I guess, interviewing all these people. And I've made so many friends. So I actually made a friend from Houston. Uh, her name's Kate. She works at NASA. Coolest person I guess ever. That, that was the aerospace engineer, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And so she... Um, Last year, she messaged me and was like, I'm coming to Adelaide. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, we met on Instagram because I asked her to film for the series. 
And I was like, what do you mean? We're in the middle of a pandemic. And she was like, no, we're coming on a mission. We have to intercept this satellite that's coming back down. And so I'm going to be in Adelaide. I'll do the quarantine and then we should catch up. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was Absolutely. so excited. Bowler. We caught up <laughs> yeah. yeah. We caught up and we got our nails done. Oh, so sick. I think if that doesn't yeah. defy the stereotype of what it is to be in STEM, I don't know what does. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I met her through the series. And there's so many people that I've met through the series from all around the world in STEM that have inspired me to want to keep going. And yeah, that's my plan for the next five years. I love it. I think, you know, seriously, I think you're doing amazing work. You know, you've, you're, you're, you're really leading the, the, leading the charge. And the more people that we have, like you, Louisa, in the industry, the better the industry is going to be overall, you know, and I think you're doing some some really really impressive things. I mean, if there's any anyone out there, especially if you're a female in construction that maybe wants to reach out, what is the best way to maybe connect with you through through LinkedIn or what's the best way? Yeah, any social media. I'm on all of them. I love social media. I love the power of social media when it's used in a positive way. So yeah, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. I'm on Twitter now. We've stemmed nice. it. <laughs> love it. Started. Um, yeah, I'm always open for a message. I love coffee as well. So when lockdown um, is over, I would love to catch up with any females in the industry in Melbourne at the moment in STEM and talk all things STEM and my experiences and their experience. So always happy to have a chat. Perfect. Well, you've been an awesome guest, Louisa, and um, really looking forward to seeing your career flourish over, over the next few years and seeing what you do with, with STEM at home. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Measured with me, Mick Donaghy. Our goal with this podcast is to create a community of construction professionals from a variety of backgrounds and experiences to develop, learn and grow together. As a business, our aim with Franklin Smith is to become the most respected pre-construction and quantity surveying recruitment agency in Australia within the next five years. Thereafter, our goal is to build a 100-year company that outlives us as owners, but lives on in the careers and legacy projects we recruit for. Listening to this podcast is being a small part of that journey, and we're forever thankful for your time. If you'd like to connect further with our ever-growing community, check out the Measured Facebook and LinkedIn pages. Thanks for listening to Measured. Catch you next time.